you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them once again to the book of Malachi as we continue in a sermon series we started some weeks ago. The title of the message, Complaints and Commitments. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 13 through verse 18 in just a moment. But when you have found Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 13, look up here at me. I heard the story about a man who went to a home that had a sign posted outside in its lawn. The sign said, Talking Dog for Sale. The owner of the dog took the man who came to inquire about the dog to the backyard. He said, there he is. The man who was interested in the dog said, are you sure he talks? The owner said, I'm absolutely sure. In fact, why don't you ask him if he talks? So the man said, Hey, dog, if you talk, what's your name? And tell me something about yourself. Lo and behold, the dog talked. He said, my name is McDougal, and I'm a retired CIA agent dog. I traveled the globe. I've been to every country in this world eavesdropping on its leaders. They were not threatened by a dog. They talked freely around me. Little did they know I understood everything they said. And I carried it back to our country. No surprises because I told everything that I heard that I heard. And for my 20 years of service, the dog continues, I was given a nice pension check and a bunch of medals that I have on display in my doghouse. Well, the man was impressed. He said to the owner, I want this dog. How much can I buy him for? And the owner replied, you can have McDougal for $10. The man said, just $10? Why are you selling him so cheap? The owner said, because he's a liar. <laughs> this morning, like McDougal, maybe, our Lord has been eavesdropping on some conversations. The conversations were not by world leaders. The conversations were by those who claimed to be his people. They were eaves the Lord was eavesdropping on a group of people in Malachi's day called complainers. They were saying complaints against God. He was also listening to what was being said by the committed, those who loved the Lord. 
And as we look and see what Malachi writes for us to learn from, I wonder, just wonder, if we need to be reminded the Lord reads our minds. The Lord discerns our heart. The Lord hears our words spoken in private. He hears our words spoken in public. He eavesdrops on you and I, too. In verse 13 through 15, you have your Bibles open. I want us to notice the complainers that the Lord eavesdropped on as they were complaining about him. Now bear in mind, these are people who claim to be followers of the Lord. They claim to be Christians in their day. And they're carrying out a whispering campaign against the one they follow, against the one that they claim to worship and serve. Now, in verse 13, 14, and 15, Malachi gives us the three complaints that they have, the three belly aches they have, the three gripes that they have against God himself. Now, I'm going to read to you the verse, and then I'm going to give you the Jim Palmer Amplified Translation. Okay, so we're going to go King James first, then the Jim Palmer Amplified Version, so you'll understand perhaps a little better what's being said. Complaint number one, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against you? Translation. Lord, we have not done anything wrong. Why are you picking on us like Charlie Brown? Lord, you're accusing us of things that we have not done. Lord, you're not fair. You're not right. Lord, you're not even truthful sometimes. Lord, you're a bully. You're just a bully, Lord, picking on us. We haven't done anything. Verse 14. You have said it is vain to serve God. This is God speaking to them. I overheard what you said. It is vain to serve me. What profit is it it that we have kept his ordinance, that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? My translation, serving God is futile, useless, and vain. God is just using us for his own glory, for his own profits, and we're not getting nothing out of it. God is mean Mr. Mustard, that's who he is. He's a lousy Lord, and he's a cheap employer. Lord, you're cruel. Now, this is coming from the people of God. This is coming as they gather around in their little whispering circles, their little murmuring corners, and they're actually saying this to one another about the Lord. The Lord is a bully. He just picks on us. 
The Lord is cruel. He doesn't rightly take care of us as he should. Verse 15. And now we call the proud happy. They that work wickedness are set up. They that tempt God are even delivered. Translation, God, why do you bless the pagans and curse your own people? Why do we who follow you get the short end of the stick in the bottom of the barrel when it comes to blessings? Lord, not only are you a bully, Lord, not only are you cruel, but Lord, you are grossly unfair. That was their complaints against God. Now I want to ask you a question. Why would they do that? How could these so-called followers of the Lord, how could these so-called professors of faith, how could these so-called Christians, how could they say such things? against the living God. You say, Pastor, why are you asking us? Just thought you might know. Because I know. And I think you know too. Because we do the same thing. This is not just Malachi and God speaking to those in that day it's God and Malachi speaking to us today. Why do we gripe about God sometimes? Why do we grizzle against God? Why do we grouch against God? Why do we grumble against God? Because we're all guilty of it. Oh, I know we're religious sometimes, and I know we're spiritual sometimes, and we don't always say what we think, but God reads our minds, you know that. He can eavesdrop on our thoughts. He can eavesdrop on how we feel in our heart. He can eavesdrop on our attitude. Why do we do it? Why did they do it? You see, sometimes I think we get caught up with the meism of our day. You know that Christian song, It's All About Me? Y'all know that one, don't you? Because that's the theme song of many churches today, many of God's people. Lord, don't you know who I am? I'm the pastor of this church. I'm the evangelist of this church. I'm a missionary out of this church. Lord, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I teach the biggest Sunday school class in this church. I'm the head of the finance team. I'm chairman of the deacons. I'm the top dog usher. I'm the one who stands up there on that platform on Sunday morning, and I sing the specials. Lord, do you know who I am? And Lord, do you know what I give? Lord, don't you know that I give 20% tithe? Don't you know that I spend more time in this church than I do with my family at home? 
Whenever there's a work day, I'm there. Whenever there's anything to do, I'm there. Don't you know, Lord, I give my time, I give my talents, I give my tithes, I give my treasures. Don't you know who I am, Lord? Don't you know what I give, Lord? Don't you know what I do, Lord? Don't you know what I do for you, Lord? I work Awanas. I teach Sunday school. I do this. I do that. Lord, do you know who I am? If you did, Lord, where's my blessings and gain? Where's my praise and recognition? Why don't the pastor ever say anything about me publicly? Why don't he ever give me a gift? Where's my health? Where's my wealth? You been there before? Sure you have. And you'll probably be there again at some point in your Christian life because we all have that attitude within us where the worship of God becomes a job for pay, not a service for love. Now, I want you to know that you can see it coming if you would just look closely. Others can see it coming. If you'll just listen to them, they'll tell you. What are the symptoms of a me attitude? What are the symptoms of a toxicity to the soul? What are, what are the symptoms of being a complainer, a bellyacher, a whiner against God himself? Well, first of all, there'll be a jealousy toward others. Why does he or she get to sing and I don't? Why does he or she get to teach, but I don't? Why don't I get to say the prayer with the ushers? Why don't I get this? Why don't I get that? That meism turns into jealousy, where all of a sudden you find yourself envious of other people. Then you see yourself pulling back and pulling away from the church. If they don't know who I am, I'll teach them who I am. If they don't know how much I give, they will when they don't see it in the offering plate anymore. And if they don't appreciate what I do, then I'll go do it elsewhere. A pulling back, a pulling away attitude that will show in your church worship, and your church service, and your church giving. That's how it, how it works itself out. You become critical and negative toward life. You see, once this poison gets in the soul, it doesn't just stay in the church. You understand that, don't you? It'll go into your home. It'll go into your community. Because poison is no respecter of anything. And the poison that will kill your body is the poison that's going to kill your soul. And you become critical and negative about everyone and everything. 
And then you find yourself rejecting God. You wonder how you got there. One day you just, I don't want nothing to do with him. God's a bully, God's cruel, God's unjust. Complainers. Bad enough to complain this way. But how bad is it to complain that way? And that's what they were doing in Malachi's day. I think we all need to be mindful of an exhortation that Paul the Apostle gave the church at Corinth, and he gives the church at Miles Road. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hold the lines, what he's saying. If you decided to follow Jesus, keep following him. Remember why you follow him. It's not about you, it's all about him. His glory, the worship of his son. The complainers who the Lord eavesdropped on. Wow. Now let's look at the committed that the Lord eavesdropped on. In verse 16 through 18, we see that wherever you have complainers, you'll also have the committed. Notice it says in verse 16, then they that feared the Lord. Now this is a contrast. Verse 16, 17, and 18 is a contrast against verse 13, 14, and 15. 13, 14, and 15 are the complainers. Now let's look at the committed. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened, heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. Again, that phrase used twice in the same verse. And, that, and they that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serves him. And then when I return, I shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, and between him that serves God and him that serveth not God. The Lord always has a remnant. Sometimes we think we're all alone. Listen, you might be lonely, but you're never alone. God will always be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. So he'll always be with us. But you say, Lord, Pastor, that's up there. What about down here? You'll never be alone down here either. There's always a remnant of men and women and young people who will have a kindred spirit with us, who will love the living word, Jesus Christ, who will love the written word, the Bible. And we may not always know who they are 
They may not always walk with us and talk with us, but I assure you there's many that are not bending their knee to Baal today. They love the Lord. And it's true in Malachi's day, and it's true in our day. They have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Now I want you to notice the character of the committed. The character of these who are the part of the committed. In verse 16, it says that their character could be summarized, encapsulized in the phrase, feared the Lord. Anytime you see one thing in the Bible, you ought to pay attention to it. Anytime you see something mentioned twice, particularly in the same verse, as you've heard me say before, your spiritual antennas ought to be going... I mean, that, there's something here. And what we're seeing is what, what I call the character of the committed. Now, the word fear here does not mean terrified or trembling. It's not speaking of how you feel or react when you see Frankenstein or the mummy or Dracula or the werewolf. The word fear here has a double-edged meaning. It means to love and to respect. The committed fear the Lord. They love the Lord and they respect the Lord equally. They love the Lord so much that they don't want to hurt him with their sin. They respect the Lord so much that they're not going to allow the Lord to have to hurt them because of their sin. Let me say that again. They fear the Lord, the committed. They love the Lord so much that they do not want to break the Lord's heart with their sin but they respect the Lord so much that they understand that if they sin, the Lord is going to hurt them because He is a holy God. You see, what happens so many times is we, we, we put the Lord in an extreme position. He's either a friend or He's a Lord, but He can't be both. Malachi says he can be both. He can be somebody we love as a friend, but he also should be somebody we respect as Lord. Because he's both. The modern church has made Jesus a friend. All the, the worship, all the songs, all the preaching is directed to the pendulum of his friendship. And he is a friend. But listen, he's a holy God. And this friend of ours wants us to walk with him in holiness because if we don't, he will be our judge. And that's the character of the committed. They have a fear of God, a balanced love and respect for him that doesn't tilt one way or the other, it's even. Also, I want you to notice the conversation of the committed. What do they talk about? Now, we've already seen what the complainers talk about. But notice what the committed talk about when they get together. It says in verse 16, 
They that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord hearkened. They spoke often to one another, and the Lord hearkened when they spoke to him. Now, I wonder what they said to one another. I wonder what the vertical was. When the committed got together, I wonder what they said to one another. Words of praise. They were complimentary. They were kind. They were sweet. They promoted a unity and a harmony in the body. That's how they spoke to one another. When they spoke to God, instead of giving praise, they give thanks. They thanked God for who he was. They thanked God for what he had done for them. In other words, out of the committed's mouth came praise and thanks. Praise horizontally, thank yous vertically. And let me tell you, whenever you have that kind of atmosphere in your church and in your prayer life, the Bible says God will listen. Do you notice it says he hearkened? That word hearken we'll talk about in just a moment. But the committed, you could tell who they were just by the way they talked. I was reading a book by a profiler. I realized that profiling is politically incorrect. But it goes on, whether we like it or not, in a lot of places that we'd be surprised where it goes on. But a professional profiler who worked for the FBI said in this book I was reading that if he could have 60 minutes with anyone, And that 60 minutes, he would know everything there is to know about you of any importance. He can size you up by looking at you and listening to the words that come out of your mouth or the words that you write on cards or letters or emails or Facebook or Spacebook or whatever. Whatever you tweet or twang, He can see it, and he'll figure you out. Isn't that amazing that somebody has that ability just to listen to us in a conversation, just to see what we put in print, and then he can surmise exactly who we are and what we're about. If a profiler can do that humanly, what can God do? who can see not only what we say, but what we think and what we feel. And when God looks at the committed, it makes him proud because we praise one another and we thank him. And the Bible says God inhabits the what of his people? The praise. You've heard me say many times, if we want God to come down, praise got to come up. Now, as we finish out the message, maybe you're saying to yourself, I've served God a long time and I've got nothing out of it. Not a thing out of it. My name's not on a building. Pastor never gives me nothing. 
I'm never recognized. I've served God. What am I going to get out of it? Well, nothing. Remember, you're starting to slide into the poison, the toxicity of the soul. What are the benefits to those of us that are committed? To those of us who praise, to those of us who are thankful, to those of us who serve and worship and give because we love, not because it's a job. What are some things that we get from it? Because sometimes we forget about this. And so Malachi, speaking for the Lord, says, let me give you some things you need to consider before you get poochy-lipped and think you're not getting nothing. First of all, the Lord listens to the committed. Verse 16, do you notice what it says? They that feared the Lord spoke often to one another, and the Lord went to sleep on them. The Lord went on vacation. The Lord ignored them. The Lord ran them off. No, it says the Lord hearkened. You know what that word hearken means? Remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? We talked about them before. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody what? And what do they do? They stand on the TV commercial. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody bends down and goes like that. That's exactly what that word hearken means. That when the committed people of God, when they pray, God stops what he's doing. He bends over. He puts his ear to our mouth, and he not only hears, but he listens to what we say. That word hearken means to listen, to give something your undivided attention. Now, ladies know this, and I think we men know this from our wives. There's a difference in hearing and listening. I think every man in here hears do we listen? Well, I'll ask your wife for that. God listens. He stops what he's doing. He bends and climbs himself downward toward us, and he hears what we got to say. Wow. Second benefit, verse 16. He remembers the committed. Notice in verse 16, it talks about a book of remembrance. A book of remembrance. The kings in Malachi's day, and really throughout history, have often had a scribe who writes down all of the things that people have done for him during his monarchy. And it goes into what's called a book of remembrance. And occasionally, the king will ask for the book of remembrance, and he'll go back through. And he'll see all the names of all the people who during his reign, during his monarchy, during his rule, have done things that were helpful or good or kind or beneficial toward him or what his kingdom was about. You remember the story in the book of Esther? You remember King Xerxes? He was bored one night, he couldn't sleep, so he asked his servants to bring him a book of remembrance. He opened it up, he started reading it. 
And lo and behold, guess whose name was in there? Those of you who studied the book of Esther, Mordecai's name was in there. Mordecai was told to the king to be an evil man who was trying to undermine the king's kingdom. But when the king read in the book of remembrance that Mordecai was one of his biggest supporters. In fact, Mordecai had been involved in defending the king and actually was saving his life at one time. See, that was found in the book of remembrance. Do you know there's a book of remembrance in heaven? In fact, there's three books the Bible says that could be in heaven. Now remember, God doesn't need a book. It's just to help us to visualize what God already puts right there. But there's a book of revelation in heaven. This is where all truth is recorded. There's a book of redemption in heaven, the Lamb's book of life, where all the redeemed are recorded. And then there's a book of remembrance in heaven, where all those who have done good things for God, who have done good things for the church, who have done good things for the advancement of His kingdom, they're recorded. And the Lord remembers. He knows His truth, it's in a book. He knows his own, they're in a book. And he knows what has been done in his name for his glory, it's in a book. And though you may not be recognized down here, in heaven your name will be proclaimed. That little lady who sits in the nursery one time a month, holding that little six-month-old baby and rocking and singing, Jesus loves me, is going to be remembered by God and commended by God and rewarded by God just like an evangelist who speaks to 50,000 people. God has given us all talents and gifts. He's put us in a place to use those talents and gifts. And if we will use them faithfully, we will be faithfully rewarded in heaven with all others who have done the same. Don't never look on your gift as minor or your talent as insignificant. It takes all of us to make a church. And we're going to get surprised when we get to God's Hall of Fame and see some people that we thought should be there not there because they did it for themselves. And some people who we never thought would ever be there, but they're there because they did it for the glory of God. The Lord listens to his redeemed, the committed. The Lord remembers the committed. Verse 17, the Lord claims the committed. Notice he says in verse 17, if you have your Bible, he says, they shall be mine. That phrase means they shall be my forever possession. The implication is a forever possession. The Lord says the the committed are mine. They're forever mine. They can't get lost, they can't get stolen, they can't get abandoned, they can't get exchanged. Jeremiah said, they will be my people and I will be their God. That's what he's saying. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that if you are committed to him, you will be his forever. You're a forever possession. Not his today, not his tomorrow. Not like that. You're part of the family. 
Notice, fourthly, we're talking about the committed. What do the committed get? We don't get anything, Pastor. Oh, but we do. God listens to us when we pray. He remembers us, not just now, but one day in eternity we will be remembered. He claims us as his own. Verse 17, he treasures us. Notice we are called, and verse 17, freaks. No. Fools, fanatics, fundamentalists. Thank you for your help, Miss Helen, the only one. <laughs> That's what the world calls us. But when God speaks of you and me, those that are his own, he says they're jewels. You ladies are rubies. You men are sapphires. We all have a diamond-like quality. We are precious. We are valuable to him. As your pastor, I've been called a lot of names through time. Glad I can be a jewel today. And then one other thing. The Lord spares them. Look at verse 17. He says, I will spare them, speaking of the committed, those who fear the Lord, as a man spares his own son that serves him. And then he goes on in verse 18, talks about his return, and says, I know who's on my side and who's not. I know who the committed are and the complainers are. I know who the possessors are and the professors are. I know those who got religion, and I know those who have a relationship. I know them. And when I come back, he says his return, I'll figure it all out. It's not for us to figure out. He says, I'll figure it out. I know the wheat from the tares. You don't. So don't tear up the whole field trying to figure it out. Just make sure you are right. The Lord will spare is committed. Spare from what, you ask, judgment? When he came the first time, he came to save. When he comes the second time, he's coming to judge. When he came the first time, he came to save from wrath and make us pure. When he comes the second time, he's coming to judge. To try to judge, to sentence those who have said no to him. The most important thing, ladies and gentlemen, as we look for his return is to make sure we're in Christ. In Christ. What is salvation, Pastor, that will save us from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God? It's in Christ. Do you know that everything in the Old Testament is a prelude or a picture of something that's going to come in the New Testament in reality. In the Old Testament, we read about Noah and the ark. Do you realize that the ark is a picture of Jesus? I don't have a sermon right now to give you on that, but there is a sermon on that I could bring you. How everything about that ark is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is all over that ark. And when God was ready to bring judgment against a world that rejected him, that embraced sin, pushed him away, 
He had Noah, a committed man, his family, a committed family, build an ark. That ark was a picture of Jesus. And Noah and his family were told to go where? Into the ark. And God shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And judgment came. And only those that were in the ark were spared the wrath of God. I didn't say around the ark, outside the ark, by the ark, near the ark, or on top of the ark. Those that were in the ark. And some of you right now are everywhere but in the ark. You were raised in church. You've been in church all your life. Oh, you're around it. You're by it. You're next to it. But you're not necessarily in it until you make a choice to go into it. You place your faith in Christ, in Christ alone, you repent of your sin. You do that yourself. You don't trust mom and daddy to do it for you. They can't do it for you. Sam can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. None of the ministers here can do it for me. Nobody can do it for you. You have to do it. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I bring all of my sins to Him, and He brings all of His salvation to me. And there we meet, right there. Wow. So, in closing, are you one of the complainers? If you are, recognize it. Confess to the Lord, ask His forgiveness, and stop it. If you're one of the committed, keep on being committed. Stay true, stay fast, stay faithful. Because payday is still yet to come for us. As good as it is, payday is just around the corner. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.